Good morning. Thanks for having me here. It's good to be here. Bryce and I, we go way back to his days at the University of Utah doing campus ministry with RUF. Back then I was at the University of Minnesota, but now we're here a little bit different than Minnesota. My, my family is here this morning. My wife, Christy, and my oldest daughter, Karis, are right over there. We're going to be in Psalm 90 this morning, and there is a Bible somewhere near you. I forgot to look at what page Psalm 90 is, but Psalm 90 is going to be pretty much in the middle of the Bible if you were to open up that Bible in front of you. As a kid, I would go out and I would get the newspaper for my mom at the end of the driveway, and I would bring the newspaper into the house, and my mom would open up, and she would always go to the same place every time, the obituaries. <laughs> and that's where people would start often reading how people were doing or not uh, doing. And obituaries can be a pretty fascinating read. Um, some obituaries are pretty funny. Uh, this is from Marianne Nolan's obituary. <laughs> died May 15, 2016, at age 68. This is what it said. Faced with the prospect of having to vote for either Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton, Marianne Nolan of Richmond chose instead to pass into the eternal love of God. <laughs> Another humorous obituary, Harry Weatherby Stamps, born December 1932, died March 2013. This is what it said. Harry took fashion cues from no one. His signature everyday look was all his. A plain pocketed t-shirt designed by the fashion house, Fruit of the Loom. His black label elastic waist shorts worn above the navel and sold exclusively at the Sam's Club on Highway 49. Some obituaries are brutally honest. Val Patterson, born March 27, 1953, died July 10, 2012. Patterson actually wrote his own obituary, and at the end of this very long obituary that he wrote himself, he felt the need to set the record straight on a couple of things. <laughs> I have confessions and things I should now say. As it turns out, I am the guy who stole the safe from the Motorview Drive-In back in June of 1971. I could have left that unsaid, but I wanted to get it off my chest. Also, I really am not a PhD. What happened was that the day I went to pay off my college student loan at the University of Utah, the girl working there put my receipt into the wrong stack, and two weeks later, a PhD diploma came in the mail. I never even graduated with a bachelor's degree. Some obituaries are painful to hear. Leslie Ray Charping, born November 24, 1942, died January 30, 2017. Leslie's hobbies included being abusive to his family. With Leslie's passing, he will be missed only for what he never did, being a loving husband, father, and good friend. No services will be held. There will be no prayers for eternal peace and no apologies to the family he tortured. Then, there's this obituary, it's from a North Dakota paper, but this obituary has no date of birth nor date of death. It's the obituary of Douglas Legler, and I'll read it in full. 
Doug died. That's it. That's all it said. Life is over. It comes and it goes. And like Doug's obituary, life is short. Psalm 90 is about the brevity of life. This is the only psalm that Moses wrote. And this psalm is a prayer about death and about life. Let's look at Psalm 90. Verse 1. Psalm 90, a prayer of Moses, the man of God. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, wherever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you were God. For you return man to dust and say, Return, O children of man. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past. For as a watch in the night, you sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70 or even by reason of strength 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days that we might get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord. How long have pity on your servants? Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as as you have afflicted us, and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants, and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us. Establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Let's pray. Lord, would you take this psalm of Moses, a man of God, someone who you loved, someone whom you knew well and he knew you well, and help us to see what he's saying about death and about life. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen. 2010, there was a song by a relatively unknown artist named Chris Allen that made it into the top 50 Billboard songs of the year. It was quite a popular song. But one slot below Allen's song on the Billboard Top 50 for that year was a song by the very well-known Rihanna. And it was a song called Hard. And in the video, Rihanna is dressed in full military gear from head to toe. She is walking through a desert that looks like somewhere in the Middle East. And there are bullets flying past Rihanna. And there are explosions all around her. And yet she walks so confident because she's hard. She's She's tough. She's unstoppable. She's immortal. The very next song underneath Rihanna's song on the top 50 songs that year was by another famous artist named Jay-Z. And it was a song called Forever Young that originated back in the 80s. And in the video, Jay-Z's video, you have these kids, these young people, and they're running and they're playing basketball and football and they're dancing and they're celebrating and they're loving life and the song goes on to say forever young I want to be forever young do you want to live forever forever 
forever. Forever young. I want to be forever young. To be hard. Unstoppable. To be forever young. That is what we long for. But it's not our experience. Our experience is what Chris Allen sings about in the song that was more popular even in those two artists and much more relatable to us. And his song was titled, Gotta Live Like We're Dying. This is what he sings. Yeah, we gotta start looking at the hands of the time we've been given. If this is all we got, then we gotta start thinking. If every second counts on the clock that's ticking, gotta live like we're dying. He goes on to sing, we only got 86,400 seconds in a day to turn it all around or to throw it all away. We got to live like we're dying. And in the video, as Alan is singing this song behind him, is this huge digital clock. You know, the kind that you had on your nightstand when you were a kid? But this digital clock, it's 100 feet long. It's 50 feet high. And as Alan sings, you begin to realize that it's his clock the clock of his life, and it's ticking down, even as he sings. The clock of your life is ticking down. And this is the image that Moses wants you to have when you read Psalm 90. Moses is at the point of his life when he reads Psalm 90 that there's not much time left on his clock. And at the heart of this psalm, this prayer of Moses is death. But bookending these thoughts on death at the beginning and at the end of the psalm are thoughts on life. And those are my two points. Death and life. I'll begin with death. The core of the prayer begins in verse 3 of Psalm 90. Moses says, You return man to dust and say, Return, O children of man. Now, returning to dust has a familiar ring to our ears. Moses is thinking about Genesis chapter 3, when God breaks the news to humanity that man would no longer be hard. Man would no longer be forever young, but experience physical decay and death. Genesis 3, God says, By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. Now it's important to remember that Moses is not so far removed from Genesis chapter 3. The life of Moses is in Exodus, and the only history we have before Exodus is Genesis. And in fact, it's Moses who pens Genesis 3 underneath the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Moses is reminding the people of God that the clock is ticking on their lives, and it's ticking down now. So why would death, mortality, be on Moses' mind at this point as he's writing Psalm 90? What's going on in his life? Well, most commentators believe that this psalm was written uh, by Moses directly after the events of Numbers chapter 20. And in Numbers chapter 20, we see the most difficult time in Moses' life. Numbers 20 begins with the death of Miriam, the sister of Moses. And then a little later in chapter 20, we see that the Israelites have been in the wilderness for almost 40 years now. They're frustrated. Moses is probably frustrated, but God is still providing for his people. They begin to be thirsty. They complain. And God says to Moses, Moses, 
I want you to speak to that rock. And that rock will pour out water for the Israelites. God wants to provide again and again for his people. But Moses is frustrated. And so he takes his staff and he strikes the rock. Water comes out. But God says to Moses, Moses, you sinned against me. It's not what I asked you to do. I will not let you see the promised land. You will not be allowed to enter into it. That was crushing for Moses. But then at the end of the chapter, Numbers 20, Moses' older brother Aaron, who he had been with and they had worked together to lead the Israelites, he dies. So let me recap Numbers chapter 20 for you. Death, death, and death. Psalm 90, Moses is reflective about the end of his life as he looks past and over his life. And then in verses 4, 5, and 6, he gives us these quick word pictures, five of them about death. He begins saying that our life on this earth, it's like a thousand years, a thousand years to the Lord, which seems so long to us, but to the Lord, it's just like a yesterday to God. And our life is even shorter. It's that quick. He says, life is like a watch in the night. Well, what was a watch in the night? A watch in the night was when they would set a man or men to sort of guard the camp during the night from any invaders. And a watch in the night would last four hours. Moses is saying, our life feels just like a watch in the night. It starts and then it ends. Just like that. Then he says, it's like a flood. Now, surely Moses is thinking about the flood that overcame the Egyptians. When the, when the Israelites crossed the Red Sea, the Egyptians followed them. The walls of water fell upon the Egyptians, and instantly these strong soldiers were ended. Life is like a flood. You're strong at one point, and then your life is gone. He continues, life is like a dream, he says. It feels so real, and then you wake up in the morning and you realize it was just a dream, and it's over. That's what Moses says is life. And then finally, he says, life is like grass. In the morning, it's so vibrant and green, but by the evening, it's fading and it's brown. If you were under 20 years old, go back and look at your baby pictures and ask, how did you get from a baby to where you are now? How did that happen so fast? And if you, for those of you who are a little bit older, some of you are having your own babies now. How did that happen? Didn't you just graduate from middle school? And for those of you who are even a little bit older, your babies are having their own babies now. And yet you still feel like you're 15 years old. Finally, Moses gives us one more picture in verse 10. And he begins verse 10 by saying the years of her life are 70 or 80 years old. Now, this was a prophetic statement by Moses because Moses lived to be 120 years old. But then you begin to see life, the lifespan shortening. So Moses is the person who followed Moses, Joshua. He lived to be 110. 400 years later, we see David dies as an old man at age 70. Today in America, the average lifespan for an American is 78. In the world, it's 72. Moses' point is this. Life is short. Then he finishes verse 10 by saying, It's filled with toil and trouble, and then we fly away. 
It's like a bird when we're looking at the clouds, a bird that comes in our view, and then our eyes begin to follow that bird, and then the bird just flies beyond where we can see. That's what our life is like. Sometimes people will say that the Bible is uninteresting to them because it's so impractical. Psalm 90 is practical. This is about our life, and it's about our death. We are not hard like Rihanna claims. We are not forever young like Jay-Z sings about. Something has entered into this world that has made us frail and fragile and full of imperfections. Are you familiar with the uh, with a cartoon called Peanuts? Uh, the one uh, written by Charles Schultz. Remember Charlie Brown, Snoopy, Woodstock, Linus, Lucy? Well, everyone told Charles Schultz, who created Peanuts in 1950, that his cartoon would never work because it was created during the golden age of comics, which was the golden age of superheroes. So the comic strips were dominated by Superman. Wonder Woman, Green Lantern, Flash, Captain America, Batman. And Charles Schultz started writing Peanuts. And these characters in Peanuts were very different than the superheroes. They were super flawed. Charlie Brown is moody and can be brooding. And at age 12, he's already balding. <laughs> His sister Lucy, she's so mean, right? Every time she steals the ball from Charlie Brown when he tries to kick it. Linus, what is he, 13 years old, and he's still dragging around his blanket. He's so immature for his age, and Schroeder could care less about people. He just wants to put his head in his piano and just play. Remember Peppermint Patty? She's so domineering. You couldn't handle more than five minutes with Peppermint Patty. And Peanuts became popular because these characters were flawed like us. They were just like us, and we could relate to them. In this prayer, Moses is lamenting the brevity of life. And he goes next to the root cause of death. And he's asking the question, why is life so short? Why is death everyone's reality? And for Moses, behind the curtain of death is sin. This is what he says in verse 7. We are brought to an end by your anger, God. The brevity of life, Moses says, is because God is angry with us due to our sin. In verse 8, you have set our iniquities before you and our secret sin in your presence. Verse 9, all our days pass away under your wrath. If you've ever wondered where the phrase pass away comes from when people die, it's from here, Psalm 9. But what we don't say when someone passes away is that they passed away under the wrath of God. Here's a fundamental principle in Christianity. Sin takes away from life. And sin leads to death. And that's what Moses is saying. Life is short and the reason it's short is because of sin. We are under God's anger. This year, I saw the Lion King for the first time in my life. <coughs> Serious about that. At my daughter's school play. Mufasa, he's the king lion, and he's killed by his brother, Scar. And then Scar frames the rightful heir, Simba, as the one who murdered Mufasa. He then assumes the throne, and then when Simba grows up and then returns back home, 
Now Scar wants Simba, the rightful heir, also killed. And so Scar pushes Simba to the edge of the cliff. And below the cliff, the fires are raging below. And then Scar says, oh, where have I seen this before? Hmm, let me think. Oh, yes, I remember. This is exactly the way your father looked before he died. And now here's my little secret. I killed Mufasa. And at that moment, what do you want to happen? What do you want at that moment? You want Simba to tear him to shreds. You want justice against the rebel. But what does that longing for justice mean when we are the rebels against God? Moses knew when it came to matters of life or death, justice would not be on our side. Where there is sin, there is exile. There is banishment. There is a forced leaving of home. This is the story of Adam and Eve. They sinned and they were banished from the garden. They lost their home. For the Israelites, um, as they were wandering in the wilderness, the priest would, would put his hands on a goat representing the sin of Israel on this goat. And then they would banish the goats out of the camp, away from his home forever. In the days of the, the judges, when Israel was in sin and everyone did what was right in the eyes of God, God sent a famine. And so the Israelites had to leave their home again. And like Naomi, some ended up in Moab. After periods of rebellion against the Lord, God would send the Assyrians and the Babylonians to, to send out the Israelites again from their home, banishing them. And Moses here now in Psalm 90, because of our sins, says, we too will leave this world which has been our home and these bodies which, is, which have housed us. But there is one who left his home in heaven to take on human skin to become a man for us, Jesus. And this Jesus, he was not born in a home but he was born in a manger. And then when he was born, he had to leave his home, Bethlehem, and go to Egypt because Herod wanted to kill all the boys under two years old. And then when this Jesus grew up, speaking about his home, he said, foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his home. And when Jesus was tried and convicted of blasphemy because he claimed to be God, which he was, they took him outside of Jerusalem, which had been a home to him, to kill him on the cross on a hill called Calvary. So in verse 11, when Moses asked the question, in verse 11 of Psalm 90, who has considered the power of your anger and your wrath? In other, word, in other words, who considers your holy hatred against sin? There is one who knows the full extent of the wrath of God and his hatred of sin. And it's Jesus. And that's why Jesus left home. It was his choice in order that he would know the full extent of God's wrath and his anger so that you wouldn't. He left his home so that you might have a home. John 1 tells us that the word Jesus became flesh and he dwelt among us. He leaves his home so that you might have a home. And that's good because if we're honest, this home does not feel like a great fit to us. The world that we call home can be painful and not welcome, 
welcoming to us at times. And sometimes we think, if I can just get a family, then I will have the home that I long for. If I can just figure out the right state and the right area in that state and the right place to live, then I will be at home. And if I can just get a great house, then I'll have the home that I want. But those things crumble, they rot, they disappoint. Do not many people complain about their families? Are not many frustrated with the place that they live and they chose to live there? And are we still not the same discontented person even after the excitement of moving into a new house? All of which points to the fact that this world is not our home. This is what C.S. Lewis wrote about this very idea. Though being hungry does not prove I will get food, it proves that there is such a thing as food. Do fish complain about the sea for getting wet? Then why don't you feel at home here? Real home is somewhere else. And this is what Moses knew. He begins Psalm 90 by saying this, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Lord, you are where we find our true peace. You are where we can be ourselves. You are where we are safe. You are the one who sees us for who we are and accepts us warts and all. All. Jesus is the home that we long for. I want to leave you with four applications from Psalm 90 about death and life. The first one, pray for wisdom on how to live your life with the time that you have left. Right? We need to live like we are dying, or to say it another way, the clock is ticking. And this is what Moses is asking for in verse 12. Teach us to number our days. So number one, pray that God would help you to use your time well. Whether you have two years left, whether you have 22, whether you have 52. Number two, you need to be very clear about what God's work is. Because God's work determines our work. Look at verse 16. It says, let your work be shown to your servants. So what is God's work? Just very broadly speaking, creation and redemption. In the Bible, there are two great mandates or commissions that we have. One is called the cultural mandate. It's Genesis 1. Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on earth. So much there to, to look at and to say, um, but you can just sort of sit on that verse for a long time thinking about what it looks like to have a meaningful life. And the second mandate is the evangelistic mandate in Matthew 28. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. In other words, to make sure that we're not wasting our time, we need to know what God's work is so that we can make it our work. Creation, redemption. The third thing, focus on the next generation. Invest into young people. That's what Moses says in verse 16. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. It is not a waste of time to invest into the children of this community, of the city, to the children of this church. It is not a waste of time to invest into campus ministry, what Bryce and I have done. Spending time with young people. You know, the people who have the greatest advantage for all of this, the older you are, the more value, valuable you are. Because when you're 70 or 60 years old, you know what it's like to be 10, 20, 30, 40. You've got wisdom. And so invest 
invest back into the younger people. They need to hear. Young adults need to know what it's like to have a marriage that works and that's faithful. And the last thing is pray. Pray that God would establish the work of her hands. Moses is asking God in verse 17, this is how he ends, let the favor of our Lord God be upon us and establish the work of her hands. Yes, establish the work of her hands. In other words, Moses' final prayer as he concludes Psalm 90, God, make my life count. I want what I do in this brief time that I have on this world to make a difference. And I'll end with this. This is the very way that the Apostle Paul prayed at the end of 1 Corinthians 15. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. We need to know what that work is. Knowing that in the Lord Jesus, your labor is not in vain. Your work can count for this life and the next life. I'll pray. Lord, thank you for this very sobering, this very practical piece of your word that reminds us the brevity of life and that death is a reality, but that Jesus has came and he swallowed up death so that we might not only live forever, but that we might find our home in him, the home that we've always longed for. Or thank you for Moses. Thank you for his life. Thank you that his work has benefited us. And would you, Lord, help us to know the work of the Lord so that what we do in this life, in this community, might make a difference for the young people around us and for generations to follow. Thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen.